well if you hear me talk for very long. You know that I'm not from Massachusetts. <laughs> I was born in um, Alabama and I grew up near Nashville, Tennessee. And then the past 10 years I have been in Georgia. So I'm from all over the South. Um, as I share my testimony this morning, I'm going to show uh, pictures on the screen that they're going to pull up. And as I go through the story, I'll just show pictures. I think pictures help show exactly where I was at in my, in my story. So I'm going to share that as I go through. Um, to begin, how did my Puerto Rican, Cuban, Bronx birth and mother meet my Caucasian Southern dad that was born and raised in Tennessee. Well, it's a long story, but to make it super short, my mom had three boys by the time she was 19 years old. Her, she grew up in New York City, and her mother moved her to Miami to be more close to her Cuban family. In her early 20s, she was shot. The person that she was, there was a guy that she was with in a club. A man came in, this was all during drug stuff, but a man came in, he shot the man that my mom was with in the head, he died instantly, and he looked at my mom, and instead of shooting her in the head, he dropped the gun down and shot her in the side of the stomach. She, my grandmother, Nieves, went to the hospital to see her, and my mom gave her life to the Lord and decided to leave Miami, Florida, and go to a small rehabilitation center, which some of you may know, it's called Teen Challenge. And so she went to the Teen Challenge in Huntsville, Alabama, my father was already in ministry at that time, and she met him there in Huntsville. My dad was known as the meanest guy in town. <laughs> Literally, when I meet people from my dad's hometown in Tennessee, they look at me, and they're like, Jeff McCall's your dad. Like, is he alive? Is he in jail? <laughs> did he kill someone? But he actually uh, did get arrested for something. And while he was in jail, he beat up another man so bad that they thought that other man could possibly die. So my dad was moved into solitary confinement. And when my dad was in solitary confinement, there was nothing in the room, just concrete. And there was a Bible in the corner. And he said he went to pick up the Bible. And where he opened it, he opened it to the book of Revelation. And he said, as he started reading, of all books for him to first read, <laughs> I guess Revelation was strong, huh? But um, as he was reading Revelation, he said he heard a voice say, everything you are reading is true. And he got born again in jail and got baptized in water. And a couple days later, he was in the shower at the jail and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so this is the story of my mom and my dad, where they came from, how they met. If we could start the first picture, please. So this is my dad. This is me when I'm very young. My my dad and my mother were both in ministry from the time, from before I was born. Um, my mother would translate in Spanish for my dad. They would take trips to Central America, Mexico, countries like that, and do ministry together. But at five years old, my mother and my dad got a divorce. When I was very young, um, there was confusion brought on quickly because I didn't understand the dynamics between men and women and how a marriage was supposed to work. At a very early age, I heard my mother talking to a friend, and she said that the reason for their divorce was that my dad had committed adultery on her. He had cheated on her. So I saw my mom very, very upset. And I remember thinking, this is what men do to women. They hurt women. And so it, it pushed, it, it built this, 
this connection to where I bonded with women more and almost a bridge between me and men. But at the same time that this event happened, there was a much older male that would expose themselves at times. And I would see things I shouldn't have saw as a young boy. And so at the same time that I felt this connection, emotional connection to women, and felt this, that men do this to women and hurt them, it cut me off with men. It, tur- it had a, a turn off that relationships with men, men in general, they do bad things, they hurt people. And at the same time that I was being exposed to things I shouldn't have seen, I felt this natural drawing to the male body. So by 12 years old, I had my first homosexual thoughts. And by 15 years old, uh, we can go to the next slide. Uh, By 15 years old, I acted out on those thoughts. And it was when I was uh, 15 years old, I had my first encounter with another man on a Sunday afternoon. The very next Sunday afternoon, my brother unexpectedly died. My mom, Gracie is her name. My mom, Gracie, found my brother Joshua in his apartment dead. He had died unexpectedly from a seizure. He had just turned 27 the week before. And so during that, um, when my mother found my brother, she called me. She was very upset. So within seven days, this is a picture of me in high school. This is all around this time. Within seven days, from one Sunday, from this first encounter with another man, to the very next Sunday, at around the very same time, finding out my brother was dead. My life changed drastically in seven days. And it was then um, that I went into drugs and alcohol, mostly, mainly drugs. Um, This is my 17th birthday. There's actually only like one person eating in the whole picture. So this would have been two years after uh, really, really embracing the LGBTQ identity. Like I said, I was already heavily involved in drugs. Um, We were all on cocaine that night. We were all doing cocaine, so we didn't even eat at my 18th birthday dinner. And so this was my life. My life just went in a whole nother direction. Um, Growing up in church and growing up hearing about God, I heard about God growing up in church because both of my parents would go to church even after they were divorced. But to me, when people in church talked about homosexuality, I just heard it's a sin and I just heard you're going to hell. I never heard anything else. I never heard really that Jesus paid for those people too. I never heard that there could be freedom through the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. I never heard that part. I just heard that it was wrong. And you know, um, years later, the Lord spoke to me and showed me, he said, if you give people the truth, he said, if you take a scripture out of the Bible, plaster it on a billboard and go scream at the LGBTQ community. You're going to go to hell. This is an abomination. He said, you're pulling the truth of scriptures out of the Bible. But he said, if you don't give them grace and you just give them truth, you breed fear in them. And then the Lord took me to the other side and he spoke to me again. And he said, now the other side of the church nowadays are telling people grace. Grace covers it. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. God's grace covers it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me on that side. And he said, if you give people grace without the truth, you'll deceive them. So fear without grace, you can breed fear in people. They're just scared. They just hear about hell. They don't know about Jesus' sacrifice and the grace that he provides when we put our faith in him, when we follow him. And if you just give people grace without the truth, you can deceive people. And I don't want to be responsible for deceiving anyone. And I know no one here does either. But that's something about the balance, what Pastor was saying earlier about grace and truth. It has to be a balance. 
Do y'all remember those old movies where the people would carry water and they'd have one side of water, one side of water with a thing on their back and they'd have to balance it? That's how you should be balancing grace with truth. Should be a perfect balance. And so in this, um, I just went into my life in the LGBTQ identity. And uh, we can go to the next slide. So my identity, all my friends were girls. My identity was really that I'm a homosexual man. There's nothing I can do about this. So I just embraced it. All my friends were females. That was my identity. And with this specific sin, you know, sometimes with so many sins, they're an action that we do. But with this specific community, it's embedded in your mind, in your brain. This is who you are. It's not I'm Jeffrey. It's I'm a homosexual. And my name is Jeffrey. That's kind of the identity, how much it can get wrapped up into who you are. Let's go to the next slide. So from 18 to 23 years old, I lived in downtown, well, I lived in the Nashville area, but at 23 years old, I started dating a man who lived in downtown Nashville. My life was just partying, going out, clubbing, shopping, that was it. Taylor Swift's building was across the road for me. I didn't do anything, I just lived with this guy. He was much older, he was in his middle 40s, and I was 22 years old and 23 years old. And um, I just stayed drugged up all the time. I'd stay up for three, four, five days on speed, crystal meth. People call it different stuff. Um, And then I'd go to sleep for a while, get up, and do it again. And at this point, I started realizing I'm physically sick. Um, I'm almost six foot four, and in this picture, I was weighing in the 160s. So every bone was showing. I just started getting sick. I just wasn't feeling well. I was having a hard time with everything. So I decided to leave everything and move to a small town in Georgia where my dad was coaching baseball at a college. And so I enrolled in the school and I started going to school. So we can go to the next picture. That's just more of the club years. We can go to the next one. I'm in this. So as I enrolled in college, I came off all the drugs, you know, all the crystal meth, all those things. I quit using them. So to my family and to everyone on the outside, they thought, oh my gosh, Jeffrey's doing so much better. He's in college. He's being a productive person of society. He's off the drugs, all those things. But this is a weekend there. So I'm at a Christian college. It was a Christian college. And on the weekends, I'm out partying. This is Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia is where the University of Georgia is. It's a big party city. And so here I am with my family thinking I'm doing so well, but really on the weekends, I'm doing out, going out partying, doing the same thing I was doing really back home, just in a different way. We can go to the next slide. And so once again, as you can see, all my friends were girls. These are the girls I went out and party with. This was so embedded in my identity of just being the gay best friend. And really what Hollywood, you know, sometimes we um, don't realize how much Hollywood and television shows and movies can affect people. When I was growing up in the late 90s and early 2000s, that was when LGBTQ topics were being pushed on people without them really even knowing it. Television shows, movies, Will and Grace was the biggest show. Not what's on now, I'm talking about the original one. I think it aired in 1998. Some people in here may have not even been born then. (laughs) But... That was the biggest show. That was what was being pushed on their society. And so I had embraced that along with what I felt truly inside. I had just embraced that identity. 
we get to the last year of college, my senior year, the last semester, I decide to take my biology last. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I did not like biology. (laughs) I was more of a history person. So I put off biology that most people take their freshman year of college to the last semester. And that's when I met this lady. Her name was Dr. Sherry Story. She's one of my best friends now. She was an African-American woman. She grew up in the rural south of Georgia, dirt poor. Um, she grew up in government housing. She also grew up molested by her, by her mother's uh, boyfriend. And she start, I start hearing her testimony, but something wasn't adding up. Because here was this woman that had all these horrible things and she had peace and joy and love and she was funny and she was, had her PhD. She was actually been placed head over all the natural science department of the science department in my college. And so I'm like, it just seems so different from, from when I know things I went through. I was angry. There was still a bitterness and an anger of things that happened to me and and why did this happen to me? And why do I feel these feelings and all this? But with Dr. Story that had been through so many things, she didn't have an anger or a bitterness or a rage. She was filled with love and peace and joy and success and just blessings on her life. And so when I started opening up to her, um, she started telling me that Jesus had saved her, that Jesus had set her free, that Jesus had brought forgiveness even towards her mother. Her mother knew what was happening to her when she was little. She had so much forgiveness to these people. And she started sharing with me her testimony and her journey and her story. And so I started opening up to her about the homosexuality. And what's crazy is sometimes when you move a little bit closer to God, that's when the enemy will come in stronger. And that's what happened that summer. I did my first drag show that summer. I had grown up around transgender, transsexual people because my older cousin was a performer in Florida and also in Nashville. And so that summer, it was like I started thinking about things, questioning some of this stuff. I'm 27 years old. I had pretty much had this identity since I was 12. So this is 15 years of having this, this gay identity And it was in the midst of that, that summer, I did my first show and I just started feeling like maybe even I didn't work out in these relationships with other men because I'm really a woman. And also during this time, so much was changing in our country. Homosexual marriage had passed in 2015. Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner had become Caitlyn Jenner and it opened up the whole transgender topic for the whole nation. And so in the midst of these years was when I began when I did the drag show, and I knew that I wasn't just gonna perform in a club and do a show, I knew that I was using it as a door to open up into the transgender life that I wanted to live. And so I used that show, and after that summer, I went off to graduate school. I got a scholarship to get a master's degree in history if I would be a professor's assistant. And so I did that, and when I moved um, off to graduate school, It really opened the door for me being so far away from everyone and everything I knew to begin living transgender. We can go to the next slide. So this is me as Scarlett. So I began living as Scarlett. Um, This all started in 2014 and would last to 2016. I started seeing psychologists. I started seeing psychiatrists. I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria uh, by my psychiatrist to begin to start having major surgeries. 
And he told me, he said, you can start having major surgeries or you can start taking hormones or you can do both. And I told him, well, I don't want to take hormones that can take people years. I want everything fast, fast, fast. So I was getting in route to take, have all the surgeries that I wanted to do. And it was in that, that uh, we can go to the next slide and one more. I'm sorry, I don't know why the same one's on there. One more over. So I started living as Scarlet. My body was changed. My shape of everything was changed. I started learning how to portray as Scarlet. I even started going to graduate classes as Scarlet. Told my professors I'm Scarlet. I started dating a man as Scarlet. And this was the beginning of my life. I thought, I'll get this master's degree, begin my career, and start saving and have more money with a better job to begin having these surgeries. During my life as Scarlet, I always share, after 12 years of living, or 15 years really, of having this gay identity, when I began living as Scarlet, everything became heavier. Everything spiritually felt heavy. The depression that came on me was the heaviest I'd ever felt. The suicidal thoughts, I wanted to kill myself. Those thoughts would come all the time. And the further I went into becoming something I'm not, the more depressed I became and the more drinking I I did. I started drinking whiskey, vodka, any kind of liquor all the time. In my life, I'd, I'd always really dealt with drugs. But during my life as Scarlet, the drugs went by the wayside. It became drinking just to numb. During these years, every once in a while to get money or things like that, I would do shows at clubs. And to even start getting ready, I would have to start drinking. I would take usually four, five shots just to get ready as Scarlet before I could even start getting ready. I was constantly having to numb myself. Um, During this time also, I was the most promiscuous I ever was. I was also involved a few times in prostituting my body for money. Um, I was having an affair with a married man in the town that was an attorney there. And like I said, the further I went into this life, the heavier I was. You know, people can make it look glamorous and all those things, but when you live it on the inside, it's not. It's totally different than anyone could ever think. And you know, in the midst of it, this is why you have to be careful how you judge people. Because in the midst of all this craziness and everything that I was going through, there was a pastor that I had been to his church. Do any of y'all know who Jensen Franklin is? Some of you, yeah. Um, So Jensen has a church that's on television and he also has his churches on YouTube and online. And so with that, I'm living as Scarlet, but I'm secretly sneaking away and listening to Jensen Franklin of all people. And I would start crying and I'll be like, why am I crying? I don't believe in God, really. I don't really believe in sin. I don't believe in any of this stuff he talks about. And, but it would bring this conviction and it would bring this just um, almost like an opening up of all the turmoil inside and I would cry. And it was during this time that I had the encounter with God that changed my whole life. Um, Almost every night, I was either out at a club with a guy, performing at a club, going to a bar, or if I didn't feel like doing that, I would drink at home, have someone over, friends over, party, and play cards and drink. This night, I wasn't doing any of that. And it was later in the night, it was like 11 or 12, and I was alone that night. And when I walked through my hallway, I got to my bedroom. And when I got to my bedroom, I just fell back on my bed. 
and I just started weeping before God. And I said, God, I know there are people that I've met, few and far between, but I haven't met them that have peace and joy and love and just something happened in their life. I didn't know that I was talking about the born again experience. You know, I didn't necessarily have those words, but I knew there was something real that God could do. And as I laid on that bed, crying to this God that I didn't even know if he was there, and from things that I've been taught, even if he was there, he probably wanted to burn me to a fringe and blow me up. You know, those thoughts were in my mind all the time, that I was horrible to God. And in the middle of all that, as I'm crying out to God, the last thing I said to God was, will I ever live for you? Because I was tired. I needed to know at this point. If God wanted me and God wanted to do something in my life and God was going to change something in the pit of my despair, then he needed to let me know now because it was either that or I was gone. I was going to go further, possibly commit suicide, possibly just do things that I never imagined. And that night as I wept before the Lord, the scripture says a broken and contrite heart, you know, he won't turn it away. And that night my heart was really broken and contrite before him. And I had humbled myself before him as I was crying, crying out, asking for help. And like I said, the last thing I said was, will I ever live for you? So I'm crying. I have thoughts racing. And I'm literally saying this prayer out of loud, out of my mouth. And all of a sudden, a peace and a stillness came in my mind. I'll never forget. Every thought that I had went silent. And I heard God say, yes, you will live for me. That's what he said. And I remember, yes, it's amazing what God has done, his love. And I remember sitting there and thinking, did this God who people talk about, the God who created the heavens and the earth and spun the stars and the moon in orbit and the sun, did he speak to me? And it shook me a little bit. It shook me because I grew up in church. I grew up hearing about God, but I didn't know God. God didn't speak to me. I didn't know his presence. And that shook me that day, and it was like a seed of hope was planted in me. And I pushed it to the back for a while, but it didn't last long. It was about two or three months later. I took all my life as scarlet, and I threw it in a dumpster. All my clothes, all my hair, all my makeup, all my jewelry, all my shoes, everything that had become my identity of who I was about to physically have surgery to change to become, I threw it in the dumpster. About a month later, I was water baptized. And about a couple weeks after that, I was at a church and a man from Ireland was there and he prayed over me and prophesied and told me so many things that only God knew. And when I walked out of that church that day, um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you have to make a video. You have to now go public with all these things that have been happening behind the scenes. You need to make a video and cut ties with homosexuality and with your transgender life. And so on August 16th of 2016, I cut ties with my past. I made a Facebook Live video and I told people I'm done. I'm done with homosexuality. I'm done with my life as scarlet. I'm done with it all. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And within about a week, I lost all my friends, <laughs> which I thought, even before I did the video, I thought I could never live without my friends. You know how when you're younger, you think your friends are everything. 
I thought I couldn't live if my friends weren't in my life. But the Lord always knows more than we do. And he knew that I had to get stripped of all those friends to actually encounter life. When I look back at my life before I was born again, it was like dead. It was so, it's almost like things were like black and white. And now when you're born again, you see in color. You can't even explain it unless people have have dealt with it. And so um, in that, I made the video, I lost everyone. And when I lost everyone, I was just alone with the Lord. And when I was alone with the Lord, he grew me and he taught me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Once I was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible was alive and active to me. It, I, when I read it after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was like it was teaching me and guiding me. And so I just fell in love with the Bible. I would just go to my little job, come home, read my Bible, watch preaching, watch teaching, watch worship, uh, watch things about creation and all the things of the Bible that are supernatural and, and so interesting to me, the history, Nephilim, all those things. I was just learning so much. And as I spent time in the Word, God just grew me so much. And it was uh, right after I was born again, the Lord spoke to me that he said, I want you to share your testimony for there is mass confusion on this topic in the United States. That's how he worded it. And so in that, uh, we can go to the next slide. Yeah, we can keep going. So I'm going to go through some of the things I've got to do in ministry and what I do in ministry. So now there's me and Jensen, the pastor that I was (laughs) secretly listening to. I'm actually a member at Jensen Franklin's Church Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia, and became friends with him. And um, yeah, so the Lord just built a connection there. I've got to do some different things with Free Chapel and going to be sharing with their young adults soon. I've already shared with um, their counseling and also um, with their uh, college group, which was amazing. And in that, um, I just was obedient. The Lord said, go and share. And I did. Now, remember, I got a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in history. So I had begun teaching history at this point right after I was born again. Um, Right in the middle of my first year as a professor of history, the Lord started pulling on my heart, leave. Like, finish this year, but you are to leave. And he kept laying on my heart, I want you in full-time ministry. I want you to be able to go. When I say go or be somewhere or open, you're just open to go. And you can't do it being a professor in college. And so I turned in my resignation, and I was teaching at a Christian college in Georgia, Emanuel College, and they fully understood. They were so supportive. So I finished that semester. I even finished the summer uh, class that I taught, and then I went into full-time ministry, and I never looked back. And uh, it's just been amazing, like the lady said today, when you step out in faith and trust the Lord. I left my job. You know, some of the people in my family were like, you are crazy. You went to school all this time. You have a professor of history job. Like, why are you leaving this? And I'm like, because the Lord told me to leave this. So I had to step out in faith and leave it all. And as I did, and we can go through the next couple pictures. So many things happen. Um, Some of y'all may know Duck Dynasty show, Phil Robertson. He's now my friend, which in the million years, I would never think I was friends with him years ago. But now he's my friend. I literally talked to him and Miss Kay the other day on the phone. Um, He heard my testimony. He brought me down to Louisiana, and I filmed on his show, CRTV. And I'll never forget when we left the filming area, 
he said, Jeffrey, he said, what you're doing is kingdom work. And he said, they're going to persecute you and say things about you. He said the same way they did with me. But he said, you never stop. You just keep sharing your story and what Jesus has done. So I never have. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, this is actually 700 Club. We can go to the next picture. So I got to film with 700 Club and share my testimony. I've been on Daystar with Joni's show. I got to, the Lord put on my heart to write a book. And I wrote a book. And if any of you want a card, I'm going to leave some cards right there. My book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's called For Such a Time. That's the name the Lord gave me. So this is me on Daystar with Joni sharing my book. We can go to the next picture. Jeremiah Johnson, some of you may know him. I got to film on his show on Praise the Lord Network. We can go to the next one. That's my book, For Such a Time. It has an old picture of me as Scarlet and black and white on the back, and then a picture of me, you know, now living as Jeffrey in color. It goes through my whole testimony. It also goes through several things I don't have time to share today about the supernatural power of God I've seen. I've seen healings. I've seen demons come out of people. I've seen um, people be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. I've seen miracles. I've seen people leave hospitals. So that's a lot in the book in the end. If we can go to the next one. And now we're going to get to Freedom March. Um, is there one more picture of Freedom March after that? may not be as small. They're both pretty small. We can leave it on that one. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a picture of the Freedom March. You can see a banner and people in front of it. I'm sorry I don't have the picture bigger. That's my fault. Um, but in that, I started the Freedom March where I gather. So all those doors opened for me and the Lord was doing all kinds of stuff. But the Lord put on my heart in 2017, I want you to have an event and I want it outside. I don't want it in a convention. Uh, I don't want it in a church. I want these events to be outside. So I picked Sylvan Theater in Washington, D.C. and I picked 10 to 15 people to, that have left the LGBTQ lifestyles to follow Jesus. I picked different people from all over the country and we gather and have what we call a freedom march. And I give them the platform to share their testimonies. Each person shares their testimonies and the power of God and how they encountered him. And then we get behind a banner like this and we march in the downtown of whatever city we're in, publicly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he can transform anything about anyone. And uh, the verse the Lord gave me was in Colossians. Yes, it's amazing what the Lord is doing. Uh, the Lord gave me the verse in um, Colossians where it talks about the Lord making a public spectacle of the enemy. And I think that's why the Lord wanted us outside. He wanted it literally in the airwaves of the city, Jesus Christ's power and what he can do. And so that's what we do at Freedom March. We've been in Washington, D.C. We've been in Los Angeles, California, St. Paul, Minnesota, Orlando, Florida. We were supposed to be here on April 18th and it got canceled because of COVID, but the Lord, since I've been in Boston these past couple of days, is stirring something up, and we are going to come to Boston and have it here. So I'm excited for that. Let's, is there any more pictures on this set? That's it? Okay, so and anyway, so with the Freedom March, our next event's going to be the, in a, the Atlanta, Georgia area in um, October. We can't get a permit to March, so this time we are going to be at a church, but we're going to have two solid days of testimonies. I have people flying in from all over the country that I've chosen to share their stories. I think we have over probably 25 to 30 people going to be sharing different stories throughout this Freedom March uh, week. So we're so excited uh, for what the Lord is doing. And I want to share, I want to close with the, about the eunuchs. 
you know, pastors told me y'all believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, and y'all believe in the prophetic and things like that. So I am going to share this. I don't share this at every church, but I am going to share this this morning. Uh, when I became a born-again Christian and the Lord started uh, revealing things to me and I started reading my word and he started revealing, you know, revelation to me about things through the scriptures. And in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, there are several times that it is spoken about eunuchs. And sometimes we don't fully understand what that means. And so as I was, the Lord kept highlighting the word eunuchs to me, I started asking the Lord, well, what are you saying? Like, I know there's eunuchs from studying history that were males that were castrated and they would work in the court system around the queen or around the king. I knew that from studying history. But the Lord kept highlighting these eunuchs to me. Like the verse in Isaiah that says, to the eunuch who will follow my ways and basically serve and live for the Lord, I will give you a name higher than sons and daughters written on the temple. This is in parentheses. This is quoted from Yahweh a name higher than sons and daughters written on the temple. I'm like, what? That is a powerful statement. Then uh, the Lord took me to where Jesus talks about eunuchs. And he says, there are those who are made that way by other men, which we know that from history, like I talked about. Then Jesus says, there is another kind of eunuch that lives that way, basically to serve the Lord. They choose not to get married. You know, a lot of us will probably think about like Paul with that. But then Jesus says there's a eunuchs that are born as a eunuch. You can read this scripture yourself in the gospel. And as I said, born as a eunuch, what does that mean? This, okay, I get the other two categories. I hear those talked about in the church. I understand those things. But what is someone who is born a eunuch? And the Lord started speaking to my heart. There are literally people that from birth have the heart of a eunuch. It's a spiritual heart of a eunuch. It's not the other two categories. That's why Jesus said they were actually born into the world this way. They were set apart by God to just be with him. There were people to minister unto the Lord and the Lord ministered to them, not to be touched by a man or woman or anyone. And Jesus is right there in the scripture saying that there are people that are born that way. And so as the Holy Spirit started showing me what that means, man, the Lord spoke so clear to me and he said, Many of my eunuchs are trapped in the LGBTQ. And as I sat there and pondered over this, I realized exactly what he was saying. These people that have been set apart from birth, they had been deceived by the enemy and they were living in this, in this lie. And as I sat there, the Lord spoke to me again and he said, not all in the gay, homosexual, trans community, he said, not all of them are eunuchs. But he said, many of, and he called them my, my eunuchs. He said, Many of my eunuchs are trapped in there. A couple, around this time, a couple days, a couple weeks later, I opened up my Bible and perfectly where I had left off, it said Jezebel killed. When I went to read the story, I could sense that there was something in here I needed to pull out and it was going to be about the eunuchs. As I read the story, now, you know, in church we hear about Elijah and Jezebel. We hear even sometimes about, you know, people talk about Jehu bring him into the story when he wrote in. But the Lord highlighted something to me that day and spoke to me about the eunuchs that are trapped in the LGBTQ. They're the very key to overthrowing this principality, this Jezebel principality that's tied to murdering babies, it's tied to abortion, it's tied to radical feminism, it's tied to all of it. The very key to that is the eunuchs. And as I read the story, I realized it wasn't Elijah who killed Jezebel. 
It wasn't even Jehu that killed her. It says that when Jehu rode in in authority, that he told them who will take her down. And it literally says the eunuchs gathered around her, picked her up and threw her off the balcony. The eunuchs are the ones that fulfilled the prophecy of what Elijah had prophesied. And the Lord told me they're trapped in there for a reason because they're a very key to unlocking what I wanna do in the United States of America, of overthrowing so much of this demonic, satanic stuff we're seeing. They're the very key and they're hidden. They have been hidden by the enemy there. And the Lord is wanting to use that key to unlock what he wants to do because they're the very ones that will be anointed to overthrow the things that that principality is tied to in this country. And when he started showing me this, it just blew my mind. I'd only been a Christian like a year. (laughs) And I was just like, Lord, this is so much. And it was so exciting at the same time that God was going to do something great. Excuse me, going to do something great. And, um, In that, he showed me that the eunuchs were the very ones that were with Jezebel every day. The eunuchs were in the palace in Israel. They were seeing Jezebel's sexual morality. They were seeing her sacrifices to Baal and Molech, of children. They saw all the witchcraft in the palace. They were the ones that were around her the most, yet they were the very ones who fulfilled Elijah's prophecy and overthrew her. And so I just want to encourage you today, and I want you to be praying that these eunuchs will be freed, these spiritual eunuchs, that they will be freed from this deception. And it's gonna take all of us uniting and all of us in prayer to see uh, what the Lord is gonna do in that. And um, about my ministry, I, I run the Freedom March, which I started, I have two ministries. I never even thought I would have one ministry ever in my life. I now have two ministries, Freedom March International Inc. And I also have four such a time. And uh, with For Such a Time, I travel, I share my testimonies, I speak at churches, I share about the eunuchs, I've written a book, I do television, radio, youth events, all those things. Um, But I also just minister to people. Um, You know, I've been in the Northeast for over a week and a half, and this is the first time I've spoken in a church in the Northeast. Um, I've spoken in Connecticut, but this is the first time, I guess, in Massachusetts I've spoke. But the whole time I was here, I'm doing things. I I love to do things in the church, but I also love to go to the people. I've went in gay clubs and ministered. I've went in gay areas and ministered. I've passed out books and waters. I've talked to people. I share my testimony with everybody from the hotel people I meet to my Uber drivers or taxi. And I just go to the people. I just never, and all of you should be doing this, never stop sharing Jesus with people. We have to share Jesus with people. I had an encounter, and, and, and like the lady said today, I love what you were saying about, our sister was saying about just being obedient to God. I was speaking at a church in Tennessee, and I'm going to be honest, I got a $500 check from the church, right? And the Lord said, I want you to go to Charleston for a week. And I'm like, I can't go to Charleston. I have no church to be out there. I have nobody helping me. I have a $500 check. How am I going to do that there? <laughs> but I was obedient. I learned a long time ago to be obedient because God does the most amazing things. And I took that money and I got a hotel room there. And while I was there, um, the Lord just moved so much. I just went to Charleston, South Carolina. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know what to do. But I was obedient and the Lord moved so much. Um, when I was driving in the town, he said, I want you to go to the restaurant Hooters. Hooters, where the girl dressed very, you know, provocative and all that. And a lot of guys go there and just look at them. And he said, whatever girl's your waitress, I want you to minister to her. 
So I got there, the girl came, I ordered some food, she started doing her, you know, like talking to me and stuff, and then she went and got the food and all that stuff. After I ate, she came back and I said, look, I said, literally, I was all the way in the mountains of Tennessee. The Lord had me come to Charleston. And when I got here, he said, come to this restaurant and to minister to you. I said, he loves you so much. You know, he died for you. He paid for you. And he entered across time and space to make sure I was here to talk to you today. And she just said, my hairs are standing up. She was like, this is crazy. She was like, I've just recently been asking God, like, are you for really real? She said, I grew up Catholic. But, I, you know, I didn't know God, and I just, I feel like I went away from Him, and I don't know, um, I've just been feeling drawn to Him. And I said, well, He did this today for you, to wake you up, to tell you, like, He's real, and He loves you. As soon as I was getting ready to leave Charleston, after the end of my time there, uh, the Lord spoke to me again. I was packing up my stuff. He said, I want you to go the 10 miles back into the city, because I was outside the city. He said, I want you to go 10 miles into the city, back into the city, and I want you to call a pedicab. In the South, they have taxis that are uh, like cabs that, that people ride a bike and it pulls like the back cab where people can sit in. And I thought, man, the Lord must really want to minister to this guy. When I pull up to the pedicab place and I met the person where I was supposed to be, a girl came up and it was a girl that was living transgender. She had hair on her body and on her legs. And, you know, she was living as a man. And uh, when she pulled up, I said, look, here's the money. I don't need the ride. The Lord sent me here today for you. He told me to come back here. And I said, look, this is about my book. I live transgender. The Lord saved my life. She said, I'm transgender. She's like, come up here. She said, come up here and sit with me in the thing. And so I got up there and sat with her. And I just told her about just things of the Lord, what he's done in my life. And I gave her a card for the book. But this is the kind of things that we have to do, just being obedient, going when he says go, doing what he says do, because there's people's literal lives are at stake. People that have never heard the gospel, people that have never heard um, anything about what the Lord has done. And you know, when we're ministering to these people, like I said earlier about grace and truth, you know, I said, if you give people the truth without grace, you can breed fear. And if you give people grace without truth, you can deceive them. And Jesus took me to the story where he saved the woman from being stoned. And he showed me through that. I actually saved her from being stoned first. I showed her grace first. And I just sensed that from the Holy Spirit tonight to just pound that in. He showed her grace first. He saved her from being stoned. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, then I went and I showed her the truth second. I said, go and sin no more. We're to show grace and we're to show truth to everyone. We cannot have one without the other. This is not a time to cower down or be scared of what people are saying. We will boldly stand up for truth, but we will boldly stand up for grace and doing it all in love. And if you have a gift of the Holy Spirit in you today, you need to be using that. You need to be using the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God. This is not a time to just sit down and not do anything. This is a time to rise up. I got so discouraged after my first year of ministry that I laid on my bed and I wanted to quit. And I said, I'm done. I said, the, the homosexual and transgender community, they don't care what I say. They're deceived. I was deceived. When I was deceived, when people said things about it, I was like, that's whatever. I don't believe that. I said, so Lord, they're deceived the same way I was deceived. They don't care what I'm doing or what I'm saying. 
And the Lord spoke to me so clear and said, use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That solved all my little problems with ministry and everything I want. That solved it all because now when I minister, I minister in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I see the power of God move and it wrecks people's lives and it goes past their carnal brain and it hits their spirit. And when God spoke to me that day on my bed, he said, I've given my gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church and they're not using them. They're literally called the gifts of the Holy. They are gifts to you. They are gifts to use to build the kingdom. So I, I really sense the Holy Spirit today saying, some of you have gifts and you not use them and you need to go in your secret place and you need to ask the Lord, activate these gifts in me. Activate these things in me that the, that the Lord wants to use to further his kingdom. Even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if I'm not, feel like I'm ready for that, then activate it in me. Because when we go into eternity, you are not gonna want to go into eternity and say, I made it in heaven, it is beautiful the Lord's presence, all these things, and then see other people's treasure and say, man, I wish I would have stepped out and ministered more. I wish I would have evangelized. I wish I would have stepped out of my comfort zone and did things that were for eternity in the kingdom. Don't be that person in heaven that, rem that remembers that, even if it's he, the Lord lets you remember it for a second. So I've heard people's testimonies in heaven. You don't want to be one of those people. Do everything you can now so that when you cross your finish line, you didn't make a D or a C, you know, or a B on your life. Come in with 100% all that you have. Get the highest mark you can. Finish your race because we're a body. And if one person in here doesn't do what they're supposed to do, it affects everybody else. It's like a domino effect. So I just want to encourage people today. Um, Pastor, can I pray over the people today? Yes. So, Father God, I just thank you that uh, there are people in here, Lord. There are people in here that want to minister, Lord, to the people that want to love the LGBTQ, that want to share grace and truth with them, that want to share righteousness with them, Father. And I just sense again to pray over everyone here, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they will be activated today in these people, that literally like a bomb going off inside of them, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit you've placed in them will be activated and that they will use it for the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I just thank you, Father, today for the activation of the gifts in these precious people. Also, I sense to uh, just pray a peace over people here. Uh, I see torment. I see just the uncalming things in the minds. And I just thank you, Father, that anyone suffering with that will be blessed today with peace in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I even ask for them to be able to feel your presence now for your glory, Jesus, your peace that you paid for. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon you. And I thank you, Yeshua, for a peace being released to these people today peace over them, just a peace, even a spiritual rest today as they leave, that they can just rest in the Lord. They can go about their day today to just go eat, go be with their family, go relax, and just know that everything Jesus was paid for by you, it's not by their works, it's by their faith in you. Let them rest today, Lord. Just let the people here have peace and rest. And Father, for the people here uh, I specifically see the number three. There's three people in here today specifically 
that the Lord wants to use for the LGBTQ community. So I thank you, Father, for those three people that are willing to minister to them and show them love and grace and truth that those three people will accomplish their destiny, their purpose in Boston for this topic. In Jesus Christ's name. And I bless this church in Jesus' name.